You know what? We love our dads. And they come in so many different flavors. There's the gearhead dad, the funny dad, the muscle dad, the sports fanatic dad, the barbecue dad, the car guy dad, the bad joke dad, the bow tie dad, the socks with sandals dad, the golf dad, the perfect lawn dad, the fantastic mustache dad, and the you'd better not talk to me before I get my coffee dad. We love their quirkiness, but sometimes we just forget about their total awesomeness. Like the diaper changer dad, the homework helper dad, the bike balancer dad, the coached your awful t-ball team dad, the taught you about the birds and the bees dad, the took you on your paper route at 5am dad, the suffered through your 5th grade band concert dad, the worked hard to feed his family dad, the sacrificed for years to give you a better life dad, the helped you learn about Jesus dad, and the showed you a glimpse of God's love dad. There are a million ways to dad, but there's only one dad you'll ever have. So this year, get him another horrible tie, but don't forget to say thanks. Good morning. It's uh, great to be here with you, and happy Father's Day to all of you. Awesome. Good response. It's good to, good to see you. Uh, dads, have you all had your coffee and you're fired up and ready to go? Okay, one of you. So where were you? Because that's who I'm talking to this whole service, because the rest of you are like, man, I didn't get to sleep in. But anyway, it's great to see you. Those of you online, also great to have you here. Um, my name is Ike Unger. I'm the lead pastor here at Deer Run Church, and it's an honor for me uh, to speak on this special day. And I want to start by obviously just wishing you all a happy Father's Day. And I know that for many of you, uh, this is a day where you kind of get to sit back and have your feet rubbed and everything is brought to you. And uh, my, is it ringing a bell? Yes? It's already started, right? This morning, some of you like had coffee in bed and it was all done for you. By the kids, of course, not your spouse, because this is something I'm trying to teach my kids is Mother's Day. I'll take care of my mother, you take care of yours. Your mother is, not, is my wife, so don't be asking me to go buy gifts for your mother when that's... You get it? Yeah. So this is something I think that's not really catching on, but, uh, you know, we, we have time to work on it. But um, I hope you're enjoying this day. I hope that this is a time where you get to spend with your family and just maybe have that barbecue, whatever you plan on doing. And I know that this can be a special day, especially when your kids are younger and as they get older, you know, you, it, things change and this is a time, you know, to kind of look back on our legacy. And, and, I, and I think as a dad who has older kids now, a little bit older kids, it is so much fun to kind of go back together with them, looking back, seeing what history has all been about and, and just some of the things that are going on. And there are many great things about being a dad. And I don't need to tell you that. You already know that. And the video, opening video, kind of showed some of that as well. And I want to give you a list, just some things. We could have an endless list about what is great about being a dad. I do need to put one little disclaimer in here, and that is that this is also something, as, you know, as fun as it is for a dad to do, this is also something that is usually fun for the kids to do. But at the same time, it does tend to kind of, you know, wind down as they get older. And so those of you that are teenagers and have teenage kids, you might be going like, oh yeah, I remember those moments. They were lots of fun. But as your kids get older, some of the talents that you have as a dad 
they're just not as appreciated anymore. And I don't know why that is, but, uh, you know, anyway, let me give you some examples and then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I would have never known that I knew how to dance if I hadn't become a dad. I, I don't think I would have ever danced if I hadn't been a dad, you know. And so, uh, now I'm a hearty Mennonite boy, and that means that dancing is not necessarily in my genes. And so very often when the kids were small, it was more of me just thrashing about. But we called it dancing, and the kids loved it, and uh, we had a fantastic time. Then there's the action songs. Do you remember these, all the little action songs, you know? Now, most men, if you're like me, um, you have a hard time walking and talking at the same time. And so to do action songs takes an enormous amount of concentration. So normally what that ends up is just basically hip swinging and uh, shaking and trying to. But no one cared because you're a dad and you're with your kids and you're trying to do the latest VBS songs and, and you're just in the house and your kids thought you were a hero just for trying. And so there you go, okay? Uh, then there's playtime. And I don't know, uh, sometimes playtime and wrestling time, um, we're not really that different. We started by playing, but ended up throwing each other around, the, or more we throwing them around the room, which is just great fun as a dad. You get to feel so strong, you know. But playtime, you know, you come home from a long day of work, and you're invited into playtime. And what that often would look like, and you know, and the different, it could be all kinds of things, but sometimes you'd come home, and you're invited into playtime, and you are now the captain of a ship, you are sailing over the treacherous ocean to rescue someone. And oh, you come you know, home and it's such a joy to be such a powerful captain. And then you know, the next day you come home and you're looking forward to being a captain again. But this time you're a fairy princess and you're waiting for your one true love to kiss you. And you're like, ugh, whatever. But you have playtime and it's always, always been a blast. And so... The other thing that's great about being a dad is walking in the house and hearing a loud, Dad's home, you know, and everybody, you're the hero, and the kids come running and hugging you, and I can definitely tell you that kind of fades out when they become teenagers, but nonetheless, those are good moments, and you know, when you think about you being a dad, you are the strongest, you are the wisest, you are the most handsome man in all the world, amen, kids? Yeah, of course. The kids are all in Sunday school, but uh, in the next service, maybe they're like, yeah, amen. You know, your kids think you are the smartest, the strongest, the wisest, and yes, that does die out as well once you become a parent of teenagers and young adults, but I remember way back when we were still doing, our kids were like much, much smaller, and we were doing young adult ministry, and, and while we were doing young adult ministry, uh, for some reason, our kids asked Kevin Wall, and you just saw him here on the guitar, they asked Kevin Wall to flex. And Kevin Wall flexes. And I'm like, great, because I know what's coming, you know? So Kevin Wall flexes, and then, of course, kids look at me, and, Daddy, you flex. <clears throat> so I considered the situation carefully and decided that it was probably wise for me to not compete in the moment, you know? It just didn't feel quite right to be in competition with someone I was trying to spiritually lead, um, you know? Uh, it just wasn't the right moment. And so I said to our kids, you know what? Why don't we just wait with this, and I'll, I'll flex for you at home. And um, they're like, no problem, no problem. And so we get home, and of course, basically in the door, and they're like, come on, Dad, 
flex for us, flex for us, you know. And so I rolled up my sleeve and I flexed with all that I had. And to my absolute shock, they counted me the winner. <laughs> I had the bigger muscles. Now, I will admit this came somewhat as a shock to me, considering that I had managed to take a picture of Kevin flexing, and this is what it looked like. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Kevin looked like when he flexed, okay? And my kids got a picture of me flexing, and this is what that looked like. Yeah. So there it is. Now take that down. Take that down. We don't need to see any more of that. Um, oh, kids can be such a source of esteem booster and then in other times, not quite so much. But I consider myself, and I want you as dads and, and, and parents, all of you, I just want you to take a moment and just reflect on this for a moment. I consider myself, and I'm sure I speak for many of you, I consider myself to be incredibly blessed that I grew up with a father who has always been there for his family. Uh, he supported us during very difficult times. You know, we made the transition from one country to another, which I know was no equal uh, diff easy task. And I know my mom was in the midst of all of that, but we're talking today about fathers. My dad is a brilliant man. Uh, you know, we grew up basically, no matter what was broken, my dad knew how to fix it. And then along came computers. Sorry, Dad, you, they just didn't work out for you. But uh, anything else, my dad could fix it. And yet at the same time, he was a humble and patient man. He loved Jesus, and it was evident in everything that he did. Just recently, I heard a story from one of my brothers uh, who was uh, you know, up, up north. And, and they met somebody there. And long story short, they found out that this man knew my dad. And they're like, I used to work with your dad. And... I was talking to my brother about this, and I said how beautiful and how awesome it is that whenever I hear someone say that, I'm never worried about what will come next, because my dad always lived a life of integrity. Who he was at home is who he was everywhere else, and there's never this worry of like, oh boy, what do people think about my dad, because I have a, a dad who's amazing. I'm also incredibly privileged to have a father-in-law who has journeyed with his family and parented his family through also some very, very difficult, difficult times. He's led his family through these moments, and my father-in-law is an example of servanthood, dedication, and selfless love. It's evident in everything that he does. And so today, I find myself incredibly blessed to have such a father. And I would encourage you, whether you're your dad's here with you now or, or whatever the situation may be. But I want you to think back and I want you to reflect on the experiences that you've had with your father. And in those moments when there's mo uh, opportunity to be grateful and to express gr gratitude for you to do so. This year, as I did with Mother's Day, I don't want to focus so much in the sermon about all the things that dad should do. I think sometimes as a dad, we kind of get this long list of these are all the things you need to do. This is how you need to raise your kids. This is all, you know, and it's like this piling on of things to do and things you're doing wrong. And, and so I don't really want to focus so much on that today. I'm sure that we could list all kinds of things that we could do different as fathers. So today I don't want to do that. I don't want to give us a long list of to-dos, but I rather, like with Mother's Day, I want to talk about today about fatherhood. What are healthy attributes of a father? 
What does it mean to be a healthy father? What should a father strive to be? And because I think men, often we may define ourselves, just like we talked about with Mother's Day. Mothers, you can do this as well, but fathers, we can define ourselves by what we do. And a lot of the videos and things like that and comments that we often hear from, from people, they kind of focus on that. Like, oh, my dad can fix anything, or my dad can do this, or my, you know, my dad is a strong... And those are all fun, and those are all good, nothing, nothing wrong with them. But I think, dads, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the doing. And what I want to do today instead is I want to focus back a little bit, and, and just like Mother's Day, I want us to think about being. Because who you are as a father, who you are to your children, their characteristics, your, your, your um, approach to life is more important than the things that you do. There are things you are required to do. There are things that you should consider doing. Yes, absolutely, but it should come out of who you are. We need to recognize that the word father does not conjure up good images for everyone. And I want to just take a moment and, and speak to that. I'm sure that there are some of you listening in the room and some of you listening online. And there's a wide range of responses that may come from our hearts and experiences that are maybe in this room or online that we've had with our fathers. I also know that there are fathers listening, and I'm sure some of you maybe feel that you're somewhat at a loss as to what to do with your kids what to do with life. You may find yourself stressed out about work. You may find yourself worrying about finances. You may struggle with different things. And I'm sure that there are even some fathers here today and listening, and you would maybe say that I'm actually not in a great place as a father. I'm actually struggling with being a good father to my children. So we have to recognize that the word father does not always conjure up great images and that some, for some people, it's actually a difficult, painful moment. On Father's Day, we honor our dads, and we pray that God will bless them beyond measure. And obviously, Father's Day is a time when we want to look a little bit at how tough it is to be a dad. But again, recognizing that this doesn't necessarily mean that everything about it is happy. For example, you may be here today, and your dad has passed away, and you miss him more than you can bear. Maybe your dad was not a kind man who was a blessing to you. And so celebrating Father's Day it may actually annoy you or it may bring back painful memories instead of good memories. Whatever the case, I think the reality is that the majority of us have some kind of father figure that we can be proud of, that we can admire. And it gave us a time, this is a time for us to, you know, to reflect and to pay attention to that. And maybe there are those of us who, who didn't have a father necessarily, a biological father or adopted father. We had somebody in our lives and they acted as a father figure to us. And maybe some of you are doing that for someone else right now. They're not, they're not your children necessarily, but you are loving them, you are caring for them, you are nurturing them, and you are a father figure to them. And I'm sure there'd be many of you in this room that said, yes, one of my teachers or my, my uncle or someone, there was a, there's a father figure approach to how they related to me and it's beneficial and you're grateful for it and because of that, you are a better person. And then, of course, we have to reflect on the fact that we have a heavenly father 
who loves us beyond measure. And in Psalm 68, verse 5, it says that our Heavenly Father is a father to the fatherless. And if you're here today and you don't have a father, then you need to recognize that your Heavenly Father is your father and that He loves you. And if you grew up with an unhealthy father, I've talked to enough people that then struggle to relate to God as a father. Because like I said before, the images and all that relationship wasn't healthy. And I'm asking you today, do not take the unhealthy attributes of your father and project them onto our Heavenly Father. Your earthly father is not a true representation of your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father loves you and is kind and, is, uh, and compassionate and is merciful. So let's look then for a moment at what are some of the essential qualities of men. How do we determine what principles and what foundations we should lay as a, a man, as a father who is created by God for this role, who is created by God to be a father. So what is, it, what is involved in being a healthy father? I want to look today at a father that is often overlooked, someone that we don't pay a lot of attention to, someone that you know, we know about, someone that you know, um, is in, this, in a very important part of this, in the gospel story. But we don't really ever take time to think about this person and the role that they played. And the person I want to look at is the adoptive father of Jesus, Joseph. You ever think about how it must have been complicated for Joseph to be the father, the adoptive father of Jesus and his role in Jesus' life? And we need to go back to the Christmas story to think about this. And so Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, go there. We're going to look at that. Uh, in a little bit, starting in verse 18. The focus of these verses, normally we, we think about Mary, and we think about what Mary went through, and obviously, you know, rightfully so, man, the decision that Mary made to say, yes, Lord, may it be as you say, is amazing. But today I want us to look at it through the lens of Joseph. Place yourself in the story, especially if you're a man, place yourself into the story as Joseph. What an, what an incredible story, you know, Mary's faithfulness to God, but then you also have Joseph's faithfulness to God. But as you see with Joseph, there was also some different contexts and complications that Mary also dealt with, but maybe in a different way than Joseph dealt with. If you were Joseph, if you were in the story as Joseph and you find out, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll read you the story in a little bit, but those of you that do, how would you have responded? What would your reaction be? How would you have felt when you consider what God is about to ask you to do? When you consider, when you contemplate all that was going on? Imagine the pain in your heart. You know, the pain that you would have experienced at the thought of what had been done wrong, especially at first. The pressure that you would have felt from your community to do what was socially and culturally expected of you. When it may be deep in your heart, you knew that there was something different. So we're going to look at that Joseph today because in that, I want to look at three important characteristics of Joseph, the father or the adoptive father of Jesus. Because I think these apply to us today. So let's read the story. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, 
he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Don't you just feel like you need to put your winter jacket on and sing Christmas songs after you hear that read? But what do we learn about Joseph from these verses? And how do they apply to us? As you listen to the story and as you place yourself into the story as Joseph, can you begin to feel some of the frustration? Can you begin to feel some of the confusion? Can you begin to feel some of the the pressure that you would have felt within yourself and from your community and maybe even in your relationship with Mary and, and with the people around you? Like, How do you explain this story? How do you explain what has happened here? So what kind of person was Joseph to be able to maneuver this in such a healthy way? Well, the first thing that we see is this. Joseph was a man of conviction. Joseph had integrity. This kind of conviction displays who you truly are, not who you appear to be. This kind of conviction makes you the same person no matter where you are. It makes you the same person no matter what tragedy comes. It makes you the same person no matter the challenges, no matter the victory. You find yourself being the same person everywhere you are. Joseph was a man of conviction. When faced with a difficult situation like this, the real you, the real Joseph is on full display. And as confusing as this must have been for him, we see that even before the angel came to him, even before the angel came and clarified what was actually happening and how Mary's story was true, Joseph already had in mind to protect his wife, to protect Mary, sorry, to protect Mary at all costs. He did not want to disgrace her. He did not want to shame her. After the visit from the angel... You can imagine there must have been so many more questions. But after the visit from the angel, you see a Joseph who's like, I can't, you know, and again, I'm paraphrasing here and I'm adding in, but it's almost like you get this guy who's like, I knew it. I knew it. But because he had these deep convictions, what he did before now worked with what he's doing now. Imagine if he hadn't had these deep convictions and would have flown off the handle, treated her horribly, said all kinds of awful things about her and to her, and then the angel comes and says, oh, by the way, everything is true. Can you imagine the damage that would have been done in that relationship? But he didn't do any of those things because of his convictions. He was a man of honor and integrity. And now that the angel comes and says, oh, by the way, Joseph, it's all true. Everything she said is true. You see the side of Joseph that's like, I knew it. And then he just goes and he protects. And he decided like Mary, just like Mary did, to do what God had asked of them. To do the right thing and to do it right away. The right way was God's way. 
And he wasn't waiting until, you know, more proof was in. He decided in that moment, his convictions were so rooted and grounded in faith. His, his faith was the first and foremost of his convictions. And this guided him in his obedience to God. Joseph's convictions were rooted in his faith. And now that he knows all the details that the angel has given him, he is determined, determined to accomplish God's will in his life and with Mary's life. See, faith is an interesting thing. It's an interesting topic in Scripture. If you ever want to do a, a word study on faith, have fun because it's, it's an interesting one and it, it's beautiful and it's necessary for us to understand it. But in the book of James, it's very clear that you cannot just declare faith. You cannot just say, I have faith and then do nothing with that faith. This is where conviction comes in. It must be, our faith must be put into action. James states very clearly in James chapter 2, verse 6, faith without deeds is dead. Joseph could have said, oh, Mary, I believe you, but I'm, you know, and he could have lived very different. But his convictions were such that what I believe will be on display. It will be seen. And you see that Joseph's convictions was rooted in faith, and he was willing to risk everything to act upon his conviction. Joseph was a man of compassion. Even when he thought, even in that moment when he wrestled with it, maybe he thought Mary had wronged him because he didn't know and it seemed so odd. Can you imagine? Place yourself in the story and you, you're told, <coughs> I'm pregnant, but it isn't you and it isn't anyone else. Imagine the frustration as a man, as a husband, for your future wife. How would you wrestle through that? And so Joseph was a man who had deep compassion for her. He sought a way out of this that would not shame Mary or make her situation worse than it needed to be. I don't know about you, but this is often not how I respond when I feel wronged. I, I often respond very differently. I, I don't try in my times where I feel wrong to make the situation the best that it can be for the person I feel who wronged me. Joseph immediately decided and he de de dedicated himself to protecting Mary. And when they, he received the visit from the angel, again, I'm reading into the story a little bit, but you almost get the sense of this deep compassion and burden that he has for her, recognizing the, the struggle and the pain of what she has been asked to carry. Matthew Luke writes this, and I'll just read him. He says, when we see, we see some important facets of compassion, the first facet is, that compassion extends God's grace. Grace is a gift. It is something that is not earned. Out of compassion, we offer grace to those whom we feel has harmed us. The second facet of compassion is that grace extends mercy. <coughs> Excuse me. Grace is when you receive something that you do not deserve. Mercy is when you get, when you don't get what you deserve. Grace and mercy are funda fun fundamental elements of our Heavenly Father. He extends grace and mercy to us every day. We are saved by grace. We don't deserve our salvation. We could never earn our salvation. End of quote. This compassion that Joseph shows and exercises here is a compassion of both grace and mercy. 
Compassion is sometimes seen as weakness. In reality, to express compassion takes more strength. It takes an incredible amount of strength, and it takes courage, which leads us to the next, next one on the list. Joseph was a man of courage. I already kind of spoke to this, but I want you just to kind of place yourself in the story again. Can you imagine the courage that it took for Joseph to do what he did? Fathers, following Jesus, leading your family to follow Jesus is going to take courage. Joseph had to battle with the people in the situation in Nazareth at that time. But think about what you may have to experience as you lead your family to follow Jesus. Courage is required for us to follow Jesus ourselves. And courage is required for us to lead our family to following Jesus. Admitting you're wrong also requires courage. And we can make a long list, and here's just some. Saying sorry, asking for forgiveness, sacrificing your time, yourself, living a life of integrity, loving your spouse, being faithful with your finances, being faithful to your spouse, etc., etc. All of these require courage because courage is something that does not come natural. It does not just happen on its own. It's something that we have to work towards. For Joseph, he was faced with the people of Nazareth. Think about it. To most of the people in his hometown, how else would they have explained this other than two ways? Mary was unfaithful to him, or Joseph himself was unfaithful to God and did what he should not have done. So in either way, it's like, Joseph, which one of these happened? Because you can tell that story as many times as you want, but for the majority of people, one or two happened. She was either unfaithful to you, Joseph, or you both did something you were not supposed to do. Which one is it? You can imagine the pain in Joseph's heart and Mary's heart going around maybe to their family and others and saying, this is not what happened. You won't believe what happened. This child is of the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes, trying to convince your own family that that's what happened. First and foremost, would you even believe it? If you would have been Joseph's brother or Joseph's friend, would you have believed it? Probably not. So for Joseph to stick to this story, for Joseph to follow through on what God asked him to do, to remain faithful to Mary, and for Mary to do her part, this took an enormous amount of courage. See, courage propels us forward. Now, there's a couple of ways of looking at courage, and we, we tend to look at courage as like, man, that took a lot of courage to jump off of that, or that took a lot of courage to apply for that job, or that took a lot of courage to say no to this person, or whatever it might be. We sometimes define courage as, as taking a stand, doing something. But when you look at Scripture, <clears throat> courage is often described as doing the right thing. Not just the brave thing. Courage is about doing the right thing. It takes courage, like I said, to follow Jesus. You can have courage even when you are afraid. In those moments when you don't know what's going on, you don't know what to do, you can be a courageous person even in those moments when it feels like you are afraid. And as I said, courage does not come natural. It takes time. It needs to be developed and it's something that we need to do slowly. You don't need to start with the largest thing or the biggest thing, but courage takes time. It does not come natural. 
You need to start with whatever it is, something small in your life. And my guess, men, for many of us, the hardest place for us to maybe exercise courage will be with ourselves. There might be some things in our own lives that we're like, man, I need to do this, or I need to stop doing this, or I need to change this about me. And that's going to take courage to acknowledge that, to accept that maybe there's something you know you need to do for yourself, but you're not doing them because it takes courage and because you're worried about what people may think. I think I've shared this story before, but I'll share it again because, well, it makes me look good, and that always helps, but... um, I've shared this story, and I'm not proud of this story in any way, but years ago, I was in a store, and I was treated, um, and there were some things that were going on, and it wasn't, you know, good, and so I blew up at this person. I just lost it on, on this person, and I didn't say anything horrible, but um, I, I, I was not kind one bit. So I left the store angry. I stormed out, said all kinds of things, and I left. Now, here's a couple things I know to this day to be true. I know I was wronged, and I know that technically I was in the right. And that they had no right to treat me the way they did, and they had no right to do what they did. To this day, I know that. But I also knew that I acted in a way that was uncharacteristic of me. It wasn't me. It wasn't who I wanted to be, maybe more importantly. This is not who I wanted people to know me as. So I started leaving the parking lot, fuming. Kind of, you know, you know how this works. You're like, I can't wait to get home and tell my wife, oh my goodness. You know, I'm going to tell her what I said. I, man, my wife's going to pat me on the back like, well done. You, man, you put that person. We're never going to that store again. And I was looking forward to it. And then God just made it very clear to me, I think, you won't make it home, Ike. <laughs> It's one of those deep convictions that I had that was like, no, you did very wrong. You need to turn around and you got to make this right. And so I turned around, I drove back to the store, sat in the car, fuming and wrestling within myself. I got a, you know, a bitter battle about who, you know, what I was going to say and, and what I needed to do. And I justified what I'd done. But then again, there was that conviction you need to go make this right because you were not in the right in how you responded. And I can tell you, it took a lot of courage for me to admit and to accept that I had done something that was wrong and that I needed to go apologize. I wish I could tell you that all of my stories end that way. They don't. Admitting was probably harder for me. Admitting that I had acted wrong was probably harder for me than to go back into that store and find the person and apologize to them. See, courage is needed Not only to jump off a cliff, not only when it's doing something risky, courage is doing the right thing. And fathers, you and I, as fathers, we have these moments in our lives to teach our children to live lives of courage by doing the right thing. Looking again at Joseph, we see a man who did just that. He did what he was asked to do which was no easy task, as I'm sure you can understand by now. But at the same time, we do not read that he did all kinds of extraordinary things. He wasn't, you know, oh, I'm Joseph, and and I went through this, and now I'm going to teach a leadership course on how to be a dad, you know, when, you know, this and this. I'm going to teach you how how to navigate uncertain times. Joseph was just himself. 
It was who he was. He was compassionate. He was, you know, conviction. He had conviction and he had courage. That's who he was. He didn't need to become someone else to do those things. He was just himself. When you read through the Gospels, very little is actually said about Joseph. We know that he was a man who worked as a carpenter. He's mentioned at Jesus' birth when Jesus was a young child. And very briefly when Jesus was 12 years old. And after that, there is nothing else said in Scripture concerning Joseph. He's not someone that is talked about a lot. And here's the interesting thing. Not one word that Joseph said has ever been recorded in the New Testament. This was a man of a few words. And some of you are like, man, that's my husband. Like, I totally get it. And some of you, like, my wife is probably like, oh, that would be nice. But here's the thing. Joseph's lifestyle spoke volumes. He didn't need to be a man who said a lot. And maybe he did, but it's just not recorded. But we don't see him being anyone other than himself. So fathers, you don't need to be someone else. You don't need to act like someone else. You don't need to have certain gifts or do some, you know, things the way someone else would do them or to live you know, a certain way that other people would. You can, as you are, live with conviction, compassion, and courage. This starts in your home. It starts with your spouse and then with your children and on and on. At the same time, fathers, I do not want you to feel now that you're, oh, here's this list of things that I'm being loaded down with to do, that there's more that I need to do. Living with conviction and compassion and courage isn't something you do, it's who you are. This is who you're going to, this is your being. And my guess is that some of you need possibly to do less. You don't need another long list of things to do. You may have enough going for you right now. You're probably running hard, making adjustments, trying to provide for your family. And some of you are maybe at a loss with your own kids and, and some of the things that are with that. You're in an uncomfortable place with your wife. Maybe you're struggling with your own insecurities, your own fears, your own disappointments. See, every stage of fathering, every stage of parenting comes with its challenges and we bring who we are into those challenges. So fathers, I want to encourage you to not try to be someone else just to be yourself. And I want you to know that as yourself, as who you are, you can live a life of conviction, compassion, and courage. And I pray that that would guide you through the challenges that will come as you continue to father. Please also know that you're called to embrace this calling. That God created you to be who you are. And if God created you to be who you are, then God will empower you to do what he has called you to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have so many examples in our own lives and we have examples in Scripture of those who have gone before us and who lived lives of conviction, compassion, and courage. And I pray now for each one of us as fathers as we go out and live out our own lives, that in every one of us we would just have this desire not to be a different father than we are, not to be like someone else, but to truly be ourselves. 
I pray that we would not focus on the doing, but that we would focus on our being, who, who you have called us to be. So I pray, Father, uh, Heavenly Father, I pray for each one of us that as we go from here, that we would strive to live out the life that you have called us to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before you go, I just want to very quickly just point out, um, you may have already noticed,